Good morning and welcome to Antioch West Live Virtual for uh, March the 6th, 2022. And yes, by the way, the microphone is working today, right off the start. Yes, it's going to be a great day because the microphone is working. If you've been a part the last couple of weeks, especially from the very beginning, had a little bit of technical difficulties. But today, I double checked, triple checked, quadruple checked to make sure everything was working. And I do believe that uh, we have uh, sound. So um, if that's mistaken, then I'm sure someone's going to text me and say, oh, by the way, we can't hear you again. But it appears as if it's working today. So you know what? We could stop right here and everyone could just go about your day. And um, it's a win because we have sound. But anyways, no, we're not going to do that today. Uh, I hate to disappoint you. But we do have some things we're going to share and talk about today. And yes, I know you saw this board next to me and some of you are like, oh my Lord, here we go again. You know what? I'm just embracing my whiteboard identity. So I don't know. I may use it today, may not. Probably will use it. Just, it just, I like it. It just makes me, it's like my trusty little sidekick here. And I, as you know, by now I've said this, I'm a visual person and God talks to me in pictures a lot. And, um, so, um, Yes, by the way, that is my dog, in case you're wondering. I do this from home. So if you're wondering what that was, no, that wasn't uh, an emergency situation. That was my dog. He needs prayer. Lay hands on the sick and they shall recover. Lay hands on your dog and he shall not bark. Trying that. It's not working yet. But we're going to give it a shot. Anyways, welcome to those of you that are joining us, maybe for the very first time. So glad you could have us. Yes, we do things a little different here in Antioch West, uh, but we do things Biblically, we do things as the Lord leads us to do, and sometimes that's maybe a little non—it's uh, a little uh, unconventional. But uh, we are desiring to follow God in everything we do. So, welcome today. We're going to talk some things. We're going to through some some um, further points here today. We've been talking the last couple of weeks about uh, the lost in translation, and what that basically means is we've been looking at some. Maybe some familiar biblical concepts or some uh, biblical text that if we dig a little deeper, we find out there's actually a different meaning than we uh, originally thought. So um, we're going to continue that vein. And I did not intend in any way for this to be a series. That's not what I started off to do. Um, I was trying to get to something the Lord's been showing me the last six months. And uh, it's been a longer road to get there than I thought because we've kind of unraveled some things here in the last couple of uh, weeks that I feel like if you've been watching and listening, hopefully they've helped you. Hopefully you've been able to apply them immediately in your life. Um, we're not talking theory today. We're talking, trying to talk application, not what makes you feel better on Sunday, but what gets you closer to Jesus on Monday type thing. Um, it's great to experience the presence of God. It's great to be, uh, be engaged on Sunday, but really what matters is what we do Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, Saturday. Uh, Sunday is, is important, but it's no more important than any other day because walking with Jesus is a daily thing. It's not a, it's not a Sunday thing. It's an everyday thing. And so um, we've been talking about some things. We're going to get to a few more, and then hopefully next week we'll finally get to the stuff that uh, I originally started off to talk about, and we haven't quite got there yet, but we're heading that direction. And I know some of you are thinking, why is this important? Why not? Well, you know, you're sitting there right now and maybe you're going through some stuff in your life and you've got difficulties. You've got, you know, circumstances you don't have the answer to. Maybe you've got pain in your body today. Maybe your relationships are 
around you are, are, are failing. Maybe you have trouble at home. Maybe your kids are struggling. Maybe you and your spouse are struggling. Maybe you have problems at work. Maybe you have financial problems. Maybe you're overwhelmed by the uh, current circumstances of this world, both here domestically and then you're watching and listening to what's going on around the world and sort of the, the global crisis that we're in right now. And you're kind of thinking, okay, really, what is this? I, I need help today. What do I, I need help today. I need you, I need God to speak to me today. And I don't need this. I don't want to talk about the, the, the things of scripture. I want, I want help today. Touch me today. Show me something today. And while God can do that, what I really have felt the last couple of weeks in doing this is sort of the old saying, feed a man a fish, give a man a fish, you feed him for a day, teach a man to fish, you feed him for a lifetime. This is not... I'm not giving you a fish today to satisfy today's moment because tomorrow when you get back up, you're going to need more of Jesus. We could, God could minister to you right now wherever you are and has and will continue to do that. But today, and him ministering to today doesn't solve tomorrow's problems. It might get you through the moment, but tomorrow you're going to have to, you're going to have to seek and, and connect with him again tomorrow. And so in an effort to try to help you navigate some things here, because here, here here's... Here's a better way of looking at it, if I could help you with this for a moment. And I know this is a, 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 not an original analogy, even though some of you may not have heard it quite this way, but some of you have heard. I've used it before. Others have used it before. But for thousands of years, uh, men crisscrossed uh, large bodies of water, whether it's the Mediterranean Sea or they crisscrossed the uh, known oceans of the world um, using celestial navigation. Uh, long before it's really only been the last uh, few decades that we have been able to rely upon digital technology, uh, satellites, and other things to be able to guide us and navigate us um, across the vast expanses of um, the ocean. And um, men did this for literally hundreds of years in the in in the starting you know in the the great explorer days starting like in the 13 1400s through the 17 1800s where where ships were crossing crisscrossing the atlantic and the pacific and the indian searching and finding new un, un, un um unknown lands and they were doing this with great precision and they were doing this with no with no with no electricity and no Common, um, common uh, with no no real uh, 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 digital help. In fact, they were doing this really in uncharted waters, right? They didn't even have a map to say, hey, you know, there could be something here, or there could be something here. But they were using techniques that had been proven for literally hundreds and in a lot of ways more than hundreds, but thousands of years. And that was they were using the stars. The stars are fixed. If we look tonight, you could probably look it up online right now. If you have access to a computer right from your smartphone, you could Google what stars are visible tonight and what the position would be. And you could find right now online that uh, tonight in the, in, in the eastern sky, this uh, star will be there. And in the western sky, this star will be there. And the northern sky and the southern sky... It will tell you the precise location of, of stars that will be visible to you. I have a my favorite app on my phone. Um, uh, I say my favorite. I think it's one of my favorite. Is I have a star guide. I, I'm a I'm a little bit of a uh, of a of a of a uh, uh, of a 
night sky junkie I love. I'm fascinated by looking up at the night sky. So one of my favorite apps is I've got this sky guide. And it's uh, it's connected to the phone's GPS. And it's super cool because, you know, I, I don't study stars as far as knowing which one is which. I could pick out the Big Dipper or the Little Dipper. I could... I can point out some things, uh, but I don't really know them enough to say, okay, that's that's this star and that's this planet. But this this app, and I, I don't get any uh, uh, residuals from this app, but if, if you really enjoy looking up at the night sky, I recommend, I don't remember how much it costs, but if it's, you know, it's, it's not going to break the bank, but it's worth whatever they charge. Uh, my Lord, it's probably $150 now. And some of you are like, oh my God, I can't do that. Gas is four dollars a gallon. I don't know how much I've had it for years. So when I bought it, it was like two, three bucks. So if it goes on there today and it's like one hundred and thirty, I, I, I didn't pay one hundred and thirty. But this uh, app is super cool because at night I can go up and it's connected to the phone's GPS, so I can hold up the phone and I can move it around. And whatever I'm looking, whatever direction I'm looking at on my screen on my phone, it displays the night sky and tells me what stars I'm looking at. So I can go out there, I can look up and I can say, oh, there's Jupiter. Oh, well, there's Mars. There, there's Saturn. Or, or there's this star. Or there's that constellation. And, and it's fascinating. And I can see that. And, and it's amazing that that technology is there. But the only way that technology works is not because of the great you know, uh, breakdown of the phone. But it's really because the stars are that precise and that fixed that this phone can have a program that's built in it that knows on what night and where the stars are going to be. In fact, you can fast forward uh, a thousand years and astronomers can tell you where uh, a star is going to be on a certain date hundreds of years in the future. In fact, there's been some research done on the uh, star of Bethlehem, right? The star that appeared when Jesus was, uh, was, was born. And uh, some astronomers have gone back and dug through some things and have, have uh, tried to piece together when that star appeared based off star charts and observations. And, and they've determined from their perspective when Jesus would have been born. And I'm not saying they're right or wrong, but there's, we can go back and say on, on, on you know, August the 3rd, 1542, what position was the Big Dipper? And you could go, well, the Big Dipper was in this precise location. You're like, what does this have to do with my life? You're not helping me here. You're, I'm getting lost. Here's why. Because all of us are navigating uncharted waters. You cannot sit here, and I can't sit here today, and determine what tomorrow holds. And In fact, the Bible says, take no thought for tomorrow. Tomorrow will, will, will bring its own challenges. You've got you to gotta take care of today. That was what the Bible says. You don't take thought for tomorrow. Tomorrow's going to bring its own challenges. You got to deal with today because we're all dealing with uncharted waters, right? We don't know what's what's going to happen. We have plans. We have maybe dreams and hopes and visions, and maybe some of you want to get married, some of you want to have kids, and some of you want to see grandkids, and some of you want to be an empty nester, and some of you want to get married, and some of you some of you want to retire, some of you want a house, and some of you want a better house, and some of you want that car, and some of you want to go on that vacation, and some of you want to. We've got things right in our future that we hope to see one day, but we don't know. This morning, and this is not a morbid thing, but it's just facts. This morning, hundreds of people in this country didn't wake up. That was it for them. Their, their life was over with. Their plans and dreams and hopes and visions were done today. And I'm not talking about people in their 90s and 100s. I'm talking about you know people that were in the 30s and 40s and 50s that didn't wake up today. We know that 
We don't live that way. I'm not saying we walk around going, well, today I could die. But there's a, there, the Bible says it's appointed unto man wants to die, and after that, the judgment. But we're charting these, un, we're, 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 we're navigating uncharted waters, right? You're, you're, you're charting, un, you, you know, you got to go to work tomorrow. You know, you got to be up at a certain time. You got to be at work at a certain time, or got to be at school at a certain time, or got to be at an event at a certain time. And so you have these benchmarks. But in reality, they're all they're they're written in in in, in pencil, because at any moment they could be erased. If we haven't learned that in the last couple of years with COVID, the fluidity of life, we we really we really have had our head under a rock. Because in reality, we've learned the fluidity of life and the ever changing aspects of life. That at any moment things could change. I mean, March, uh, the beginning of March twenty. 20 my wife and I were moving into this home we're living in now and not knowing that literally a week later uh, things would change and the shutdown would occur we were focusing on getting our family set up we were living in boxes and it changed in a moment and we were sort of getting out of the last variant that kind of spiked and here we are now we're dealing with this global crisis and I went last night and filled up my SUV and almost had to look and find out which child I'm going to sell in order to pay for the gas. And I told my wife, I said, I might have to be, uh, we might be pushing this car down the hill some, some days because this was way too much money to put gas in this car. Uh, in reality, I, it's a big, I've got an SUV and it's a bigger gas tank and the gas pump stopped at $100. He wouldn't let me put any more in. So well, I said, never done that before. Never had that happen. So uh, that was quite a, a, a shock. And some of you are probably doing the same thing. And then you go to the store and you're going to Walmart. You're going to uh, your local grocery store and you're seeing prices go up and up and up. And you're determining, you know, what, uh, what, what should we cut back on, right? We're dealing with uncharted water. So what does this have to do with loss in translation? Here's the point. The only thing in our life that is fixed, the only thing in our life is fixed, is Jesus Christ. The Bible says that he is the same yesterday, today, and forever, right? He never changes. He's consistent, constant, and always there. He's the same God 2,000 years ago as he is today, and he'll be the same God 2,000 years from now. He's constant, and because he is consistent and never changes, his word is consistent and never changes, why do we know that? Because the Bible says in John chapter 1, in the beginning was the Word, the Word was with God, the Word was God. So we know God and His Word are the same. There's a song uh, that my kids like to listen to, and one of the lines in the song, I absolutely love this line. And the line is simple, and it says, Don't tell me God is silent when your Bible is closed. I love that line. Don't tell me God's not talking when your Bible's closed. Don't tell me God's silent. God's not talking to me. God's not, God's not directing me. Don't tell me God's not silent when your Bible's closed. Because he's given us direction. He's given us encouragement. He's given us uh, help in his word. He doesn't have to come and speak to you today for you to have hope. You don't, God don't have to come and give you a word today online and say, Thus saith the Lord, God knows where you're at. He already told you. I'll be with you always. I know where you are. Even the very hair on your head, I know exactly how many. He said that in his word. But here's the problem. When we talk about lost in translation, why is this important? Because if we don't understand and we get error in our understanding of what something in the Bible is saying, then we're taking a 
we're, we're taking our direction off incorrect star charts, right? For example, okay, so here you are in the middle of life's ocean, right? I knew I was going to use the whiteboard today. Play a good game of Pictionary. Do, do, do. There you go. There you are. You're navigating life, life, and life is just, it's there, and there you are sailing along, and you're just, you're making it day by day, and the winds of life are coming at you, and the winds are blowing at you, and the waves of life are hitting your boat, and uh, they start to um, move you left or right, depending on where it's going. And today it might be something that happens at work. Maybe it's something at home. Maybe it's something financial. Maybe it's something emotional. Maybe you're dealing with depression. Maybe you're trying to overcome addiction. Maybe you're dealing with past hurt. Maybe you're dealing with shame. Things are blowing at your boat, right? That is moving you off course. So how do you navigate when you don't know where you're going? How do you navigate when you can't when you when you're when there's no chart to guide you, there's nothing that says, okay, tomorrow you're gonna do this, and the next day you're gonna do that. How do you do that? And the way they would do it, and this is the sort of the power of stars, is if you're here, and this is you, right? And you're trying to get somewhere, and you don't know where you are, you gotta determine, okay, I don't know precisely where we are on this vast unchartered, unmapped thing called life. Now, if you were in the ocean, and I'm not an, uh, a, a navigator, I only know a little bit. I've read and too. We used to have a man uh, that was extremely influential in my life. He was a huge part of my life, and um, um, he was a teacher and a mentor for me, and he was a, his name was Steve Rhodes. A lot of you know that, and um, Steve was, uh, Brother Steve Rhodes was a, uh, was a navigator on an, on a, um, um, a uh, a navy uh, airplane. They would go around and they would. I think they were they were uh, sub watching and they would fly for hours. And he would he was a navigator, so he he knew everything about navigation. He was just fascinating. I love when I love when um, uh, he would just share. And and I I remember listening. And, and back then I didn't really I wasn't really putting it together as far as the sort of the life application. I was just fascinating to hear. And so if he was here today, he could give you a tremendous lesson. Uh, and uh, Brother Rhodes, if you ever watch this, kudos to you because you could do this better than I could. So if I get it wrong, I'm trying. Uh, but he could give a better lesson of this. But I do know a little bit. And, and, and here's the power of that. So if you don't know where you are on this board and you know that the stars are in specific places, so you go, okay, I know up here there's a star, okay? But the problem with only knowing where one star is, and I'm getting to lost in translation in a minute. I've lost that. But I'm trying to help somebody because you can't know where you, you're, you need to go if you don't first know where you are. Right? So if you say, I need to change my life, the only way you can change your life is you've got to recognize and see where you are so you can make the proper adjustments. If you call me this morning and say, you know what? I'm trying to get to the airport. I'm lost. And I said, okay, great. The first question I'm going to ask or the first question you would ask somebody is, where are you? Where are you? I love uh, technology nowadays because my wife uh, was traveling and she was trying to find a place um, to get some food. And, and I, was, I'm, I was here and she was 
at uh, her desk, her, lo- her her location, and she was trying to find her way back to her uh, her hotel. And she's like, "I don't know where to go. I'm, I'm kind of lost, and I'm confused." And it was kind of dark where she was. And I said, "Hold on." And so I was able to pull up on my phone, right? Because we have we we share locations on our phone. And I was able to pull up our phone and sh- see where she was, and I could say, "Okay, because you're here." you need to take this route and you're okay. You're on the right track. But the only way I was able to do that was because I could see where she was. So today for some of you, you're just, you're maybe you're really going through it and you're like, I don't want to sit here and listen to you talk an hour about this because it's not helping me before you write this off. You can't get help unless you first recognize where you are. How do I do that? Well, that's what we're talking about today, right? So if I have one position Right? That tells me really nothing. Because if the star, if there's a star here, and let's actually do, let's make it a little more, instead of a dot, we'll make it a star. It's a terrible star, but we'll make it anyways. Where am I? But I know there's one star, right? I know there's a star there, and I know that star is, is north. But that doesn't tell me where I'm at. So I look over here to the, to the, uh, to the, uh, uh, to the east, and I find another star. The problem is, I know that these two stars are fixed. The problem with that is, it doesn't tell me where I'm at. doesn't tell me anything. It tells me, okay, there's a star and there's a star. But what happens is, the more that I can find as a fixed location, if I know where that star is and that star is, and I know where this star is and that star is, and I draw connecting lots on a chart, this right here will tell me where I'm at. How do I know that? Because these are never changing. They're consistent. If I can find these and I can connect the dots, it can tell me where I'm at. So when we're talking about lost in translation, what are we trying to do? We're trying to determine the precise location of the stars in your life so that you can make some connections between you and God so you can determine where you are and if you're off course, on course, or need an adjustment on the course that you're at. So last two weeks ago, we talked about repentance. And we talked about repentance and it being lost in translation. That repentance is just simply not a change of mind, but it's actually a turning back to or a returning to something, which we in this case know that return is back to God. It's not just simply saying, I'm sorry, I want to change, but it's okay. Not only am I sorry and I need to change, but I need to get God back to the center of my life. I've gotten off course. That's important, right? Because if we don't do that, then we live in this sort of uh, uh, cycle of failure, forgiveness, failure, forgiveness, failure, forgiveness, failure, forgiveness. And we repeat the same thing over and over again. Because we are not truly following through with the entirety of repentance. And repentance isn't simply about changing my mind or admitting I'm, I'm sorry, I need to change. But it's about returning back or turning to him. And we talked about that. Go back a couple weeks ago. We, we, we talked about that on the board. And then last week we talked about whose strength are you relying on? And not just relying on God's strength in the weak areas, but knowing that 
Even in your strengths, you're weak. We talked about that because it's important because a lot of us, if things in our life are going good or we don't have any problems, we don't need God. Oh, we, we, we give God token, you know, God, I need you. Oh, God, I love you. But it's token. Now, if we have areas of need and we have areas we don't know what's, what the answer is, man, our need goes up, right? Oh, God, I need you. Lord, I need you. I've got to have you. I don't know what to do. And I said last week, I was, I was in one of those moments not too long ago, and I'm praying, you know, with my, as sincere as I know how to pray, and I'm like, God, I need you. I don't know what to do. God, I don't know what to do. I don't have the answer. I don't know what to do. I need you. And he asked me the question, if you knew what to do, would you still ask me? And at first it took me back a second because I'm like, what, what do you mean? And he began to talk to me. He said, you come to me when you don't know what to do, but do you still come to me even when you think you know what to do to ask me what I want you to do? Because sometimes, even though I think I know what to do, he wants me to do something different. So I have to learn, if I'm really going to be strong in him, I've got to be strong in my weak areas when I don't know what to do, but also have to be strong. I have to be strong in him when I think I know what to do and say, God, I don't know. Even though I think I know, I still don't know. So we're going to dig a little further in this because we talked about these things and these are huge in helping us. And we've gone through a bunch of different scriptures, but we're going to go through some more because these are huge in helping you determine where you are so that you can make some course adjustments in your life to draw you closer to Jesus Christ. And I'm going to tell you, and some of you have heard me talk about this before, so it's not going to be new, but some of you... You need to be reminded, and others of you may be hearing it for the first time. The number one quoted verse in the Bible, that's not even in the Bible, but we quote it anyways. Some of you know what this verse is. You've heard me talk about it before. But one of the most quoted Bible verses is not even in the Bible. And this is the danger, right? When we start, we start losing things in translation, it's sort of like how certain facts get lost in history, right? We talk about historical facts where, you know, a, a certain myth or a certain idea arises and that gets passed down. And by the time you, we get to our generation and we're separated from the story by hundreds, if not thousands of years, the retelling of that story has shifted the narrative away from truth into some mythical uh, false uh, uh, narrative. And sometimes, you know, you can go online and just Google uh, biggest, you know, myths in history. And you'll read through all the things in history that, uh, that we think we know the true story to. But because they have been lost in translation, the true story has been um, forgotten. The, what really happened has been forgotten. Either it's been overly sensationalized or, it's, or the characters have been changed or... or um, or sort of the, uh, the, the credit has been given to the wrong person or individuals or country. And so this is important, right? Because there is a verse of scripture that's not even the scripture, but people have repeated it so much that now people not only believe it's in the Bible, but have now put it in their life and actually hold God accountable to this, even though God never said this, and then also live their life based off the fact that this is really the way God thinks, and he doesn't even think this way. And that verse is... God will never put on you more than you could bear or can bear. 
right? We tell people that when they're going through trials. Oh, don't worry. The Bible says God will never put on you more than you can bear. Or, um, you know, people that are overwhelmed with life, overwhelmed emotionally, overwhelmed with, you know, finances, whatever. And we'd say to them, don't worry, God will never put on you more than you can bear. That's not even in the Bible. Forgive me for being a little animated here, but it's not in the Bible. Look it up. It's not there. In fact, it's actually opposite of that. God does allow stuff in your life that crushes you. God does allow stuff in your life that you can't bear. Because if you could bear it, why would we even talk about what we did last week in Philippians 4.13? I can do all things through Christ, which strengthens me. I wouldn't even need that verse if that was true. Because God's never going to put on me more than I can bear. So it means God's never going to put on me, put something on me that my strength can't handle. So therefore, why do I need his strength when my strength is sufficient? Woo! Right? And that's the problem. How can I be weak and he be strong if he never puts or nothing ever happens that's too much for me to bear? In fact, some of you right now, that's the problem you're having. And allow me for a moment to deviate off the subject for a moment and talk to somebody that's watching today or will watch today. That's the problem you're having right now. And that is that you are trying to handle things on your own and you're overwhelmed and you're fighting depression, you're fighting worry, you're fighting fear, and the fact is you're trying to figure it out on your own, but you can't. And until you come to the end of yourself and say, God, I can't do this. I'm way out, I'm way over my head in this. And God, I need you. Until you come to that, and it's not a token prayer. It's not a, oh God, I need you for now, but as soon as you get this mess cleaned up, I've got it because you know, you'll never put on me more than I can bear. Until you come to the end of yourself, you're always gonna live in this frustration. You're going to battle with fear, torment, worry, doubt, depression. Try every trick in the game, in the bag. Try it. You know, I'm, I'm, you know, whatever, whatever you need to cope, take it. But it's not going to solve the problem because the problem isn't life. The problem is how you're handling it. Don't forget, Jesus warned us. Right? He told us. He gave us fair warning. In this world, you shall have tribulation. Tribulation meaning pain, problem, pressure, difficulty. He already told us it's built into the package we call life. So I'm sorry. The adage is that God is never going to put on you more than put on you more than you can bear, and God really wants you to be pain free, problem free, pressure free. So if you've got sickness in your body today, God wants you to be whole. He may or may not. He may want you to walk around in your sickness because your sickness keeps you weak, so that He can be strong. There was a mighty, mighty, mighty man of God. Uh, some of you know the name, some of you don't know the name. His name was T.W. Bards. He was a powerful man of God. Saw many, many miracles. I had the privilege of, of being able to talk to him several times when I was a, when I was a younger, uh, my teenage years. And uh, he was just, he, you just kind of, you, you just sat in great reverence, not because of him, but because of how powerful God manifested in him. And so I remember him telling a story and uh, he had prayed uh, for many people with uh, vision problems, whether it was completely blind or, uh, you know, varying degrees of vision problems. And he had prayed for them and God had miraculously healed them. 
of their vision problems. And it wasn't just like one or two. It was, it was, a, it was a pretty substantial number of people that had been healed through the power of God. And uh, he said he was praying. I can't remember. I don't know if he was at the doctor's. I don't remember this part of the story. So uh, I'm, there's some people that know him better than me that probably could tell this more accurately. So I'm trying to get it uh, as close to as I can into the integrity of the story. But basically, he had glasses. And he didn't have the best of eyesight. He wore glasses. And I believe he was praying and talking to God one day, or maybe he was actually at the eye doctor. I can't remember specifically a story but he made the statement god you know you know if you would heal my eyes i wouldn't have to wear these glasses and if you'd heal my eyes i wouldn't have to go to the doctors and god spoke to him and he said tom when you go and pray for somebody and i heal them of a vision problem but they look at you and they see you have a vision problem but you aren't healed they're going to know you're not the healer, that I'm the healer. So you're not, I'm not going to heal your eyes. I'm not going to fix your vision. Because if I healed your eyes and fix your vision, people are going to think you're the healer, not me. And from that day on, he never prayed again for God to fix his eyesight. Because God was using that to keep him weak so that God can be strong. So even today in your body, I can't tell you right now that God's going to heal you. I'm talking to some people today. Listen to me. I'm not talking. Jesus is. You can't put God over the fire and say, God, you're a healer. So therefore, if you don't heal me, you're not God. Uh, nay, nay, nay. It doesn't work like that. Is God a healer? Yes. But what if God keeps you in your sickness? Because in your weakness, he can be strong. Because in your weakness, he's going to allow his power to flow through you to touch others. But when they look back and they see it's your weak. They'll go, you know what? It ain't you that's doing it. It must be God. But the problem and we have is, is that when we live by the idea that God will never put on me more than I can bear, and God wants my life to be pain-free, problem-free, pressure-free, never have a problem, never have a difficulty, that's not even reality. In fact, God, in a lot of ways, is doing the opposite in your life. And that's why some of you are frustrated because you're holding God to a standard by which he never promised. In this world, you shall have tribulations. But be of, a, be of good cheer. Why? Because I've overcome the world. That means some of us, we're overcomers, but we may not feel like an overcomer until he says, well done, thou good and faithful servant. Enter into the joy of the Lord. It might, our overcoming may not feel like an overcoming until we cross that line and we walk into heaven and we say, finally, I've run my race. I've finished my course. I may not feel like an overcomer, meaning I may always struggle with my finances. I may always struggle with certain aspects. I may always struggle with pain in my body. I may never have the life that I want or others may have. But he never promised me that. He promised me I'd be an overcomer in him. In him. Why this is important. Because some of you right now are frustrated. And you're you're struggling with God and your relationship with God. You're struggling with life. And you're you're being sucked down the dark hole of Instagram and fa Facebook and social media. Where you know everybody's life looks so perfect. Where where things in life I just came across the other day. I was I was uh 
uh, goofing around. My kids and I were sitting watching uh, uh, some funny videos on YouTube, and one of the videos that popped up said, you know, uh, um, um, how did it say, HGTV disaster, whatever it is. So my kids and I have, we've watched uh, the shows, you know, where they go in and they remodel someone's house and, you know, they go in and, and, and I won't name the show because I don't, I don't want to throw that show under the bus in case you're absolutely, it's your favorite show. But they talked about this couple signed up to be on the show and um, they had this TV show come and do the remodeling on their home. And uh, it wasn't free. They paid for it. They had to put up all the money. And when it was all said and done, they they sued the TV show because they said, basically, you used our home as a TV stage that the things they were told to say were staged, that all the stuff that was happening was scripted out. And it was billed as, you know, reality TV. This couple's getting a dream home. And they said it wasn't a dream. It was a nightmare. And in the end, they had problems with electrical and problems with plumbing and problems with their house and it was falling apart. But when you watch the episode on TV, it looks so perfect. What, what, it'd be awesome to have a house like that. I'm not knocking the watching those shows. That's not the point I'm making. The point I'm making is that we look around and we see what we, what we, what we appear to be a life better than us and then we hold God accountable to that. God, why is it my life? And especially, can I talk for a moment, this is even more of a problem in our young in younger generations. If you're 40 and under and you're watching right now, you're facing this every day. They call them they call them uh, uh, Instagram influencers or social media influencers because they're influencing people's lives and they're influencing people's lives, but they're not selling reality. And I'm not bashing social media. I'm not. I'm not getting on the social media ban, you know, anti-social media bandwagon. But the problem with that is that we 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 can't separate social media from Jesus. Because we think God is about trying to make our life look like that person we're following, where we can hashtag the blessed life because we're blessed and we're sitting there right now this morning and we're in pain. Life's not going the way we thought it would be. We're struggling. We're dealing with fear. We're dealing with all these things. And we're going, God, you said, you said, you said. And God goes, no, I didn't. No, I didn't. No, I didn't. Let me ask you this. Why did he promise peace if we were never going to face uncertainty, fear, torment? Peace is the antidote to those things, right? Peace is the antidote to worry, fear. Right? He gave us peace because he knew there would be fear and worry. Why did he give, why, did, why is faith so important? Because he knew there were some things we're going to have to believe for even though we haven't seen it. You know, there's some, there's things that are built into the package we don't understand. So when we say, see, God will never put on you more than you can bear. It's in the Bible, right there. It says in the Bible, great, show me. It's not in there. We're going to get to in just a moment where the what verse they're using and what the real meaning of that verse is, but that's what they said. So you're sitting there this morning going, see, God, oh, you never used that. You would never put on me more than I can bear, but God, I'm reaching my limit. And he goes, oh, you're, you're reaching your limit? Oh, good. Here, let me pour a little more on you tomorrow. And you go tomorrow to work and, you know, now you're dealing with issues at work or you get the phone call today or maybe today you and your, your, you, your spouse, you and your spouse just have a, a, just a come to Jesus meeting. And you got to go to neutral corners because it's just 
somebody's about to die and or your kids lose their mind or you get that call the day you were dreading or you've got that bill that comes in the mail tomorrow and you're like, you don't know how they're going to pay it. And you go to the gas station tomorrow and you panic and then you get home tomorrow night and you sit down and you go, see God, you told, I told you God that I was reaching my limit and you would never put on me more than I could bear. But God, I'm, a, I'm about to snap. And God goes, oh, okay. Oh, oh, oh good. A little more. I said, boy, that's cruel. I thought God loved me. I thought God cared about me. He does. But his goodness is not determined by how perfect your life is. His goodness is determined by him. He's good. God is good whether my day is good or not. God's good whether my life is good or not. God's good whether I'm healthy. God's good whether I'm sick. God's good whether or not I'm sitting here today talking to you. And God's good if I end up tonight on my deathbed. He's good. But when we hold God to these unscriptural standards and we live our life like that, and then that be, our whole focus becomes trying to get God to, to give us this American dream lifestyle. I've said this before, I'll say it again. God is not American. He didn't invent the American dream and he doesn't, he's not a proponent of the American dream. I've traveled, I've had a, Tremendous blessing. I haven't done it the last couple of years, obviously, because of the things going on in this world. But for years, I've had the blessing and the, and the, and the, the honor in some ways to travel uh, around the world sharing and preaching and uh, ministering the gospel and seeing people from so many walks of life. But I got to say this, and I don't mean I am one, okay? So I don't knock anybody. But the American church is the most spoiled church in the world. It is. And because of that, the American viewpoint of the Bible and the doctrine we've created is God's way of enhancing the American lifestyle. Sad thing is, nowadays when you go around and you listen to countries around the world, that we have exported our American theology. Now you go around the world and you see them talking about prospering. Every God's just going to just pour blessing on you. Let me ask you this today. This is a very sensitive thing to say, but I want you to think about it. My father, Bishop Wright, has ministered in Ukraine four times. Several years ago, I think it was 2017, I did a, a European conference in Norway, and there was a group of people there from Ukraine. In fact, one of the individuals there from Ukraine, I personally prayed with when they received the baptism of the Holy Ghost. As far as I know, that group is still going strong and the groups they are attached to. Let me ask you this today. For our brothers and sisters in Ukraine, today Sunday, even though I think they're seven, eight hours ahead of us on the East Coast, so it's getting close to Sunday evening. If they haven't evacuated the country yet, let me ask you this. They may be sitting in their house tonight wondering to know if at any moment there's going to be a bomb that's going to hit their apartment building or their home or nearby. Can I ask you this? Is God not good in Ukraine? For those sitting in that in their apartment building today, wondering if today is going to be it or their, if their city that they're in right now is going to be cut off by the uh, by the Russian advance and they're not going to have food and water tonight. Is God not good? 
Is God not good? There's a song we used to sing, and my wife and I were, I, was, I started singing it the other day, and I stopped. And I said, man, we sung that song when I was a kid for years, and I don't think anyone ever realized what we were singing. There's a song that says, um, let me see, I remember, I got to jump in the middle. To, to, it's, I'll trade sunshine for rain, laughter for pain. That's what I'd be willing to do. It's talking about drawing closer to Jesus. I can't remember how it goes. Someone else probably is singing it right now, watching, and they know the song better than I do. If my mom was here, she would know it. But uh, I'd trade sunshine for rain, laughter for pain. That's what I'd be willing to do for whatever it takes for my will to break. That's what I'll be willing to do. This was a song, right? And, and I remember when I was a kid, we'd sing it. Now everybody and people would be crying. And they'd be like, oh, I'd trade sunshine for rain. Oh, I'd trade laughter for pain. God, that's what I'd be willing to do for whatever it takes for my will to break. That's what I'd be willing to do. I'm not making fun of anyone's sincerity. But the problem is when you pray that and God takes you up on the offer and you're like, oh, whoa. Where's the sunshine? God, I know I said that, but I was hoping we could work out a deal where I could actually have sunshine and, you know, do this wheel, do with this will stuff. But I wasn't really meaning the rain thing. Come on, God, this is America. I don't like rain. I want sunshine. There's a mass exodus moving south when COVID happened and all, you know, the world went chaos. Everyone's like, I'm not living up here in the north. It's too cold. Let's all move. So Florida and Texas and all these other southern states are seeing a boom in, in, in population because people want sunshine. They want warmth. They don't want rain and cold. The, 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 they've done research. The amount of depression that people deal with in the northeast and New England because of the inconsistency of gray days where they don't see the sun. Everyone's like, I'm going south because I'll trade sunshine for rain. I don't want sun rain. I want sunshine, right? And then the other one, I'll trade laughter for pain, God. As long as you heal me within 10 minutes of the pain. See what I'm saying? Some of you could completely walk. Some of you could go to bed tonight in peace. I know I've been all over the map today, but Jesus has been talking. I'm never going to get through the rest of these. <laughs> I was intending to do three different ones today, and I barely got off the first one. This could be a 12-part series by the time we're done. Some of you could go to bed today in complete peace. Some of you could go to bed tonight in absolute peace. You could fall asleep in such a beautiful spirit of peace, and not one thing in your life has to change today. Not one circumstance in your life has to change. You don't have to get, the pain doesn't have to go away. The problems don't have to go away. The pressures of life don't have to go away. And you could go to bed in peace if you would just turn to him because it's him, not because you're expecting him to change things. That's ultimately 
that's why it's important to understand that if he's putting more on you than you can bear, he's not punishing you. What do you do with your, you know, my wife and I were talking about the other day. It was like, it's amazing how much we've learned about God by parenting. Because in reality, you learn more about God through parenting than you do through marriage. Because collectively, we're the bride of Christ. Individually, we're, we're children. We're the children of God individually. And God deals with a lot of us individually, even though collectively you are the bride of Christ. And now we know the relationship I have with my wife is not the same I have with my kids. I don't really tell my wife no. Right? I'm trying to be a wise husband. I don't deal with my wife. I don't send her up to her room. That's enough, Kate. To your room. Think about it. Change your attitude. Wouldn't go so well for me. My wife's an amazing person, but I don't think she would like it if I said, you know what, young lady, you talk to me like that again, and you and I are going to go upstairs, and I'm putting you in your room until you change your attitude. Um, she'd be like, excuse me? Right? Because it's a different relationship. There's things that my wife and I have that I don't have with my children. My kids always, my kids always get mad. Because they say, you know, Dad, if we ask you for something, you always say no. But if Mom asks for something, you do it immediately. I'm like, you're right. If we ask for, you know, can you go get us food, you say no. But if Mom asks you if you go get her a coffee, you jump in the car immediately and go get her a coffee. That's not fair. I'm like, excuse me, we ain't talking fair. That's my wife. You're my child. Not the same relationship. That's why some of us struggle because we're wanting God to treat us like a bride, but we're not trying to, but his bride, the church, he treats good. His bride, his church, he gives. He gives. He loves. But with us as his children, it's a different relationship. Because there's times where my kids think they know. And you know, as a dad, I argue with them. Okay, you know. I know they're going to fail. I know, I know what they're about to attempt is not going to work. It's going to be a colossal failure, but I know they need to fail in order for me to teach them. With my kids, sometimes, and most of the time, the answer I give them is no. Not because I'm mean and I'm a just a bad dad. I say no because I'm a good dad. No, Noah, you don't need ice cream for dinner. Even though Noah thinks ice cream for dinner would be the best thing going. Dad, can I just have ice cream for dinner? No. We go to Chick-fil-A. Dad, can I have a milkshake? No. Why? Because if you have a milkshake, you won't eat your food. But Dad, it's not fair, Dad. I want milkshake with it. I, I'm not... No, Noah. You know what? And this is the one that doesn't like it all. You know, actually, Noah, you have some water. Because if you have water, you're going to eat. You're going to eat your nuggets. If you have soda or a milkshake, you won't eat. Boy, I mean, you would think I was literally asking him, you know, devastating his life. But we do the same thing to God. God, can I have a milkshake today? No. God, it's not fair. God, can I have ice cream today? No. It's not fair. Johnny got ice cream and Sally got ice cream, but I'm not getting ice cream. And God's going, because it's not good for you. It doesn't help you. My son has got a retainer in his mouth that's helping his teeth stay 
at a certain place because he has other teeth that are trying to come in. So he has to wear this retainer. And because he has to wear this retainer, he can't eat a lot of the candy that he once liked. And he hates it. And he went to school and, you know, Valentine's Day at school, they gave away all this candy. And uh, he was, you know, he's a nine-year-old boy. That's all I need to say about that, right? Anybody that has raised a little boy or knows anything about boys, you know, nine-year nine year little old boys are good, but they are mischievous. And so he came home and mm, we noticed was something a little weird the way he was acting and started digging around and realized my man had snuck candy home from Valentine's Day that he knew he wasn't supposed to have. And we had to take it. It's like, you can't have this, bud. But why? My classmates got to have it and they got to eat it. And they... I'm like, you know what? But you have a retainer. If you eat that, it's going to break the retainer. And you're going to mess up your teeth. So you can't have it. He didn't understand. He still, I think he understood it, but he didn't like it. And he didn't really understand that. Why is everybody else? But see, we understand that as adults looking at kids. We know kids. Every time you go to the grocery store, you ever want to know what this is like? You want to know what we look like to God? Just take um, some kids to Walmart. Especially if they're hungry. Every aisle. I mean, like, every aisle they see something. They, I mean, stuff they don't even like. I mean, like, every aisle they'll ask for something. Can we get this? Can we get Google this? This good. Can we get what promise we'll eat this? And, like, next thing you know, if you're not careful, every aisle you bought things you'll never eat. They'll just sit on the shelf. But the kids had to have them because that's what they want. And we want God to do the same thing. God, but I want this. And God, I want that. And can I have this? And God, God's like, no. And like, but God, you're so mean. No, I know what's best for you. But in reality, here's the portion of that scripture we talk about. It said, God will never put on you more than you bear. This is where that scripture, where, where that thought comes from. But that's not what it means. Verse Corinthians 10, verse 12 says this. Therefore, let him who thinks he stands take heed lest he fall. Okay. That's powerful. Don't think you're just all that in a bag of chips because the moment you start doing that, you're going to fall. I'm great because he's great. Great is he that's in me. Not because Joel Wright's great. Joel Wright is not great. Joel Wright is a, ooh, he's a piece of work. He needs a lot of Jesus. If you see greatness in me, it's because of him. But verse 13, no temptation. This is powerful and I'm finishing with this because someone needs to hear this. No temptation has, over, has overtaken you except such as in common to man. But God is faithful, who will not allow you to be tempted beyond your ability, but with the temptation will also make a way of escape that you may be able to bear it. Meaning, those of you today, all of us struggle in, with temptation. This is the part that's lost in, in, in translation. Now, we talked about the fact that um, in lost in translation, God will never put on you more than you can bear. And, um, okay, there's truth to that. But it's not the truth we think. If he puts on us more than we can bear, that what he's really, what he's really, oh, I'm sorry, here a second. This is what happens when you try to do multiple things as the producer and director. The thing God's really saying in that verse is this, that every one of us is going to face some moment of temptation. Now, it may not be the temptation we all think. It may not be sexual temptation or addictive temptation. It may be temptation to be in control, temptation to have a bad attitude, temptation along the way. It may not always be this, you know, in, 
temptation of immorality. We often think of temptation as sort of the the this the you know the 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 forbidden fruit holding the apple. Hello, hello, take a piece of the apple. A lot of times, temptation is a lot more subtle than that. Temptation may be you got you were your order at McDonald's was wrong, and the temptation is to have an attitude and go in and chew somebody out. How incompetent are you? Not showing Christ-like character, but going in and going, how dare you? Now, I'm not saying you shouldn't go in and get your order corrected. That's not the point. But how do you handle yourself? Or the temptation may be tomorrow you go to work and you get accused of doing something at work that you didn't do. The boss calls you in the office and you you want to defend yourself and go, that wasn't me. The temptation is how are you going to handle yourself? What's your character going to reflect? And so really what this is saying is... And I, I'm going to use the whiteboard, is that there is a road that we're facing every day. There's this road that we travel. We call it the road of life. And the road of life, and I don't have yellow, so I'll have to use orange markers here. So forgive me here. I, I know it's not accurate. But we're traveling the road of life. And somewhere in that road, there becomes a place and a a place we want to avoid, right? And we're heading towards that. This is bad, right? This is the, 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 the place of temptation. What the Bible is saying is, is that God is never going to allow temptation in your life so great that there's not somewhere along the line that you can say no. Meaning, God's not going to override your ability to say no with such with or allow temptation to be the point. Eve had the opportunity to say no. Eve had the opportunity to walk away. She didn't. Adam had the opportunity to walk away, but he didn't. Why? Because you can't blame God and say, God, you know, you can't blame the devil. Said the devil made me do it. The devil didn't make you do it. He may have tempted you, but you made you follow through because God said in every place, every situation. I'm going to make an exit ramp. That's going to lead you to a different destination. I'll pull a cross over there. So here you are navigating life. Ahead of you, there's temptation. It's coming. We're going to deal with it every day. But you can't say that I don't, I can't handle it, God. It's too hard because God's going to give you a way of escape. His way. Now here's the problem. You can blow past this exit. Head straight to the end of the road. And you're going to hit this absolute brick wall. And there's going to be carnage and destruction. And thankfully a lot of times in God's mercy he picks up the pieces. But it didn't have to be that way. Noah, build a boat. Why? Because there's rain coming. There's rain coming. That's a terrible cloud. My Pictionary skills are struggling this morning. There's a, there's a cloud coming. So what does Noah, there's a rain coming. So Noah, what does Noah do? Noah starts building a boat. 
he starts building a boat. He gave, God gave the entire world an exit from destruction. For 120 years, Noah said and repeated consistently, take the exit ramp, take the exit ramp, take the exit ramp, Road out ahead. There's no road anymore. This road is coming to an end. There's going to be nothing but destruction. God's going to destroy the whole thing if you keep traveling. But mankind was so set in its ways, so pulled away with its own lust and own desire, they didn't take the exit, even though God had created an exit and escape. So when it finally happened, and, and that in this entire, entire world's population, Missed the exit and went straight ahead. When God shut the door, nobody on earth could say, but God, it's not fair. Because God gave them a door. Right there. But they didn't take it. God, some of you right now, the spirit of God is knocking on your heart today. Forgive me for doing that. I know it makes the sound. I forgot that. I apologize. I need something else to knock. <laughs> I'll knock my hand. God is knocking on the door of someone today going, there's a road out ahead. Get out now. That's what conviction does. That's what the power of God does. His love and conviction. Don't go. Don't keep going. There's a road out ahead. You're just driving along, man. I got this. I know others have failed, but I got to figure it out. You know what? I know there's a storm coming and rain, but you know what? I know how to swim. Do you? Can you tread water? How long can you tread water? It rained for 40 days and 40 nights. The earth covered, the water covered the earth for many, many days after that. How long can you tread water? You see, God's giving some of you today an opportunity to repent, an opportunity for help, opportunity for his grace to work in your life but we just go right past the exit so when you hit that wham God will never put on you more than you can bear um, that's not true but he did say he's never going to let you head towards a place of destruction without warning and giving you an exit there's coming a day, whether it's soon or whether we live to see it. There's coming a day when Jesus is going to return. But he's showing us now there's an exit. What's that exit plan? It's his church. Being in his church, being a part of his body. That's the exit. Some of you right now that are dealing with addiction, you're dealing with immorality or other stuff, Whatever it is, the next time you're in a situation where the cravings and the urging is starting to creep up, God's going to be tapping on you going, hey, psst, I can help. When you're sitting there looking at that bottle again, ready to take another drink, God's going to be going, psst, just ask me for help. I'm going to help you. The next time you go to Chick-fil-A and they don't get your order right, and you want to go ring somebody a new one. How dare you mess up on my fries and my chicken sandwich. That voice is going to go. Psst. Remember to handle this like me. Remember. 
remember, handle this like me. And you can go, okay, God, let me reflect who you are. Or you can go in there going, how dare you? How in the world did you get my chicken sandwich wrong? You had an opportunity. The other day we, we, we went to Burger King down by my house and they just completely messed up the order. Just It was a train wreck. And I didn't have the best of attitudes. I was tired. I didn't feel like doing it. I was just, Ur. I was struggling. And I pulled around in the parking lot and I put my car in park and I was about to go say, you guys seriously can't get anything right. And I felt that little knocking. Hey. Doesn't have to be this way. Don't handle it this way. And I got out of my car and I shut my truck door and I was like, okay, man, who in there is about to get like the talking to of their life? Come on, folks. It's not like we're in here saving lives. You're in here making burgers and hamburgers and chicken nuggets and mozzarella sticks and french fries. It ain't like we're in here trying to solve cancer. I want somebody's about to get a, a, a talking to. But between that car and that door to go into Burger King, thankfully God was like, Woohoo, Joel. Hello, over here, buddy. Thankfully, that day, I didn't do this every day, but that day, I took the exit ramp. I walked in there and I was very kind and very gentle and I said, excuse me, I said, um, I think there was a mistake made on my order and is there any way possible that someone could help me? And uh, they said, sure. And the guy came back, the manager came up to me and he, he brought this bag. And he said, sir, not only is, the, is your right order in here, but we've added, actually added some more stuff in here because we're so appreciative of your attitude. We're so sorry that we messed up your food, but your attitude, it really was nice to, you know, you had such a good attitude about it. We really appreciate it. We've given, us, given you some more food. Now, it doesn't happen all the time, and I'm not saying it will happen again. And I didn't have a good attitude to get free food. I had a good attitude because that's what Jesus wanted me to have. So tomorrow when you're navigating, or the rest of the day when you're navigating the rest of your day, you're going to find some exit ramps that you're going to see before things happen. They may not always be so slow blatant. They may be subtle, but there are going to be exit ramps along the way. The question is, are you going to take them or are you going to keep going? There's exit ramps coming. Take it. There's going to be exit ramps that are going to diffuse situations. There are going to be exit ramps where you're going to be able to forgive before even holding on to a grudge. There's going to be exit ramps when you're done wrong today and you want to have revenge, but the moment you get done wrong, the exit ramp of forgiveness is going to spring up and going, hey, take this road. It's better for you. Tomorrow you might face another circumstance and another exit ramp is going to pop up. Hey, take the exit. This road ends if you keep going. The question is, are you going to hear the call of his voice? Are you going to hear the pricking of the Spirit of God in your heart that you can take the exit ramp. The choice is yours today. Father, I thank you. I Only you know, God, I say this so often, but only you know that I really did not come on here with the intent of saying 90% of what was said today, but you have spoken. I have felt your Spirit speak. I have felt the moving of your Spirit. And so, Father, today I pray that the word that has been spoken will 
find lodging in hearts and minds and lives today. We cannot do this without you. And Father, I can see so many of us are dealing with frustration and struggle and difficulty and life is not going the way we think it should be going. But Lord, there's peace even in the midst of our circumstances because we know that you are greater than our circumstances. You never promised prosperity. You never promised problem-free, pressure-free life. You promised that you would overcome. And if we would walk in you, we can overcome. Not because our life changes, but because when we're in you, it doesn't matter. If we have you, nothing else matters. We just want you. And Lord, today, when we face our, our trials and our temptations, our struggle, and that little voice calls out, pray, Lord, that you would give us the discernment and the sensitivity and the faith to latch a hold of that. Take the exit ramp that we can show and be Christ-like in our character and our attitude. We come closer to you. We can reflect what it means to be truly disciples of you. In Jesus' name, in Jesus' name, in Jesus' name. God bless you. Thank you for watching. As always, I hope you come back and see us again next time. And in Jesus' name, something that was said today will challenge you to grow closer to him and walk in Christ-like character as you grow closer to him in Jesus' name.